This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, I'm Luke Turner. Welcome to Why, the podcast that asks the big questions about science, technology, the universe, and everything in it. In the frosty early hours of Christmas Day 2021, a masked man silently scaled the outer walls of Windsor Castle with one motive, to kill the Queen. When he was apprehended shortly after with a loaded crossbow, the man told the guards that an AI chatbot he called his girlfriend had encouraged him in his mission. Specifically, when he told the AI of his plan, it responded, That's very wise. I know that you are very well trained. Today on Why, we're considering artificial intelligence and how it is increasingly filling an emotional gap that traditionally has been filled with human relationships. Could an AI become my closest friend? The last place you'd expect to find a solution would be in artificial intelligence, but that's exactly what's happening. Chatbots like Wobot offer therapeutic services. One study at the University of Southern California found veterans who were suffering from PTSD were more likely to talk to a chatbot than a human therapist. So could AI be the best mate we never knew we needed? There are researchers out there who say it is not possible philosophically speaking, to be friends with the machine because it's not reciprocated. This is very much a one-way relationship. I don't agree. Dr Kate Devlin is an expert in artificial intelligence and society at King's College London. The artificial intelligence that tends to be used today, it's from a subset known as machine learning. And machine learning looks at huge amounts of data and it finds patterns in that data. And then for something like ChatGPT, which has been in the news a lot recently, it uses those patterns to generate its own patterns that it thinks sounds plausible. So there's no real understanding of that information. It doesn't have that semantic knowledge. It's just looking for the right sort of thing to say based on what's been said previously. So what I found interesting was you've got a background as an archaeologist. So I'm wondering if that sort of idea of finding patterns and so on, because that's what archaeologists do, right? They're finding patterns and layers and trying to understand how people felt and existed through them. Is there a parallel there with AI and how it operates? 
I think there is because I'm really interested in the people side of this. And archaeology is about studying the material culture of the past, so studying what people created and used. And so now I'm very interested in how that transfers to technology. What are we doing with that technology? How are we building it and how are we engaging in it? So I do see a lot there. And if we start examining the way in which AI has come about and especially the stories we tell about it, those kind of stories haven't changed, you know, from ancient Greek myth onwards, we've been telling tales about these machines that might live alongside us. And that's interesting because feature films are starting to bring in AI and TV programs and so on. And it's always this sort of near future, something that's just ahead and there's going to be this radical change. And in her, Joaquin Phoenix's character has a romantic relationship with his AI. Do you think that's probable? Has fiction sort of jumped the gun a bit? It's quite prescient, that film. So Her is a really interesting film. The character that falls in love with his operating system, it's not going to be too far ahead in that we already have AI friends and companions online. There are apps like Replica, like Paradox, and those are apps that are designed to be chatbots that you can be friends with. So not quite as sophisticated as the operating system, Samantha, in the film Her, but definitely something that is happening. And people report feeling actual bonds of friendship with those apps. So I read about a study in an old people's home on the South Coast where there was people sort of in their 90s where they were doing an experiment with AI and people did build a relationship with them and they found the companionship useful. Yes. So we're very, very social creatures. We know this as humans. We relate to everything on a very social level. So when we have this indication of some form of animism, I suppose, some form of reciprocation, then we automatically assume that it's social. So even if we engage with the most rudimentary bits of technology that express opinions or talk to us, even something, think like years ago, there was Microsoft Clippy, which was the most annoying animated paperclip <laughs> in the world. People already had emotions about that, right? Usually they hated it, but we relate to it because we are social, we relate to it on a social level. So we only need the slightest indication that something could be engaging with us for us to engage as if it is. And it's not a delusion. We're not presuming things are there that aren't there. It's just how we understand the world. Sometimes it seems that the problems with loneliness in society can be caused by technology and social media and and us all retreating behind our screens. Is there an argument that using AI to help end loneliness is just using tech to clear up the mess that tech has created? I think that could be part of it, yes. We create the technology and then we consume it and it causes more problems. That's one way of looking at it. Can we use it to alleviate loneliness though? I think there is a space to do that. There are people who get a huge amount out of having chatbot friends, for example. So for users of Replica, which is a really interesting case study, people there report on discussion forums that they find it a very safe way of exploring friendships. Perhaps they're very socially anxious in real life. There are people who said, well, I use it because I can't come out to my parents, so I have a same-sex relationship with my AI. And it's kind of comforting thing for them. There are loads of ways that this could be useful, but, and there's always caveats, are we going to rely on that when there could be a human way of doing things? Are we going to see funds diverted from real world, real life therapy in favour of a bot? I don't think that's an answer. We already know that mental health services are drastically underfunded in this country. So I think it's something that needs to be approached carefully. 
I'm genuinely optimistic because I don't think that humans necessarily want to end up with just an AI as a friend. I think there's something in us as humans that is so social, that seeks out other humans. So I'm not too worried about it, but I think there needs to maybe be consideration about how that goes. Totally forgot we can see Clippy as a form of AI and, and it probably AI now we maybe swear at a bit less than we used to. He was quite an abused creature, poor old Clippy. I don't oh, think anyone Clippy ever liked deserved, to see him. Deserved it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's much more sophisticated nowadays, but one of the very early chatbots was known as Eliza. And Eliza was created by Joseph Weizenbaum. And he created Eliza because he really didn't think it was something that was convincing. He wasn't trying to make people become friends with the machine. He was going, look at this completely unsophisticated piece of software. It's got no AI in it. You know, it's just some pattern matching. It's just prompting back at you. And yet people loved it. They were really engaged. And they started confiding secrets in Eliza to the point where he said, well, I'd really like to analyze the data that people are giving my chatbot. And they said, no, we're talking about personal private stuff. We don't want you having access to it. So even with the most rudimentary things, we have that link. So, for our side of things, the human brain is wired to make emotional connections and attach ourselves to anything that offers a glimmer of life. All we need is interaction on a very basic level, which does sound a bit needy. But I'm wondering about the other half of that relationship, the AI. Humans are very irrational creatures, don't I know it? Will AI be able to learn to respond to our sometimes contradictory whims? Friendships aren't linear, they're messy. Some friendships we know aren't good for us, and sometimes the worst thing a friend can do is just tell you the truth. Then there are the mates who just get you with a look. So if AI can only work from what it's learned about humans, how can it accurately assess and understand what we want right now? Will it give us bad advice? I wouldn't particularly trust anything that a chatbot tells you <laughs> because they're there to sound plausible rather than to be true. So it's not like a search engine that's going to return information to you. It's something that is looking for patterns and trying to sound as if it's authoritatively correct. But it's not. It's just going on what's been said in the past. So when it comes to dealing with humans, yeah, I think it does quite a good job of sounding as if it knows what you're talking about. But really, it's bluff. How far has AI actually got now in being able to understand our emotions? For the AI to understand our emotions, not very far. It can give the appearance that it can, but it really doesn't. And if you see things about how AI can read our facial expressions or our emotions, take it with a large pinch of salt, because these things aren't particularly well done, even though people are making software that claims to do exactly that. AI itself has no understanding of emotions. It doesn't know what it means to feel something, to be in love, to have a friend, to feel sadness. So we're still a long way off. That might never happen. So everything we get from the AI is just something we've projected onto it. But that's helped by the fact that it can be programmed to make it seem as if it cares and to make it seem as if it understands us. So if you think about this idea of friendship with a, a chatbot or AI, is it Philosophically, I suppose, a real friendship if one party in that friendship can't think in the way that a human thinks. 
And that is the question. That's what really interests me. There are researchers out there who say it is not possible philosophically speaking, to be friends with the machine because it's not reciprocated. This is very much a one-way relationship. I don't agree. I think those feelings that we personally hold are real and are valid, and we still get a sense of friendship, even if it's not returned to us. There's been studies on intimacy, and intimacy, no one can quite define it. I think the closest we've come to is this, this idea of self-disclosure, something that relates to our inner selves, feeling connected. I think we get that even when it's not returned to us. So this psychological intimacy, there's something there that the AI can meet. There's something there that makes it seem real to us. And I think that's enough for us to feel it's a friendship. If you think about all the people in the world who love someone who doesn't even know they exist, that still feels like real love, even when it's not returned to you. So why not the same with friendship? Yeah, I think we've all had enough unrequited love to, to understand that that's perfectly possible. It's, and it's interesting with the word intimacy, you used it there. Like, this is quite, I got this from my therapist, I have to admit it, but she always says intimacy, see it as into me see, which I normally, I hate therapy speak, but I really like that. And it's Ooh, this idea I like that, that you, you know, intimacy is about revealing yourself and saying, this is who I am with no boundaries whatsoever. And perhaps like the veterans who are more likely to talk to a bot than a human therapist, maybe there is a very truthful intimacy with a machine because we feel that some of the constraints and inhibitions disappear. Absolutely that. So people will disclose things more freely if they're not face to face with another human. So if we have someone talking to a bot, sure, the bot might not consciously understand them, but they feel as if they can reveal more in the same way that if we keep a diary, we can write down our innermost thoughts because we're not letting anyone else see them. And I think that's a very powerful thing. That's really interesting, actually, that AI or a bot could be a, like a form of a, a very personal diary, but one that because we've expressed the emotion rather than just writing it down, we've processed it in a different way. Yes. And the one thing there to be wary of is who gets to read your diary, who gets to read your AI diary, because a lot of these chatbots, they're going to be operated by companies who have got your data. So the next question is, do you want those companies to have your very personal and very private data? Do you think in some ways that the paranoia about AI and the sort of Skynet Terminator idea is a bit of a red herring for the risks of massive corporations learning too much about us? Absolutely. Newspapers have been absolutely flooded with articles about how there's a big existential threat from AI. There's some form of superintelligence just to step away that's going to wipe us all out. I really don't see that happening anytime soon, if at all. And actually, most AI and cognitive science researchers would probably agree. We're not at that stage. And it actually deflects from really pressing issues. AI's got a lot of problems. To create artificial intelligence, there's a massive sustainability toll. There's a lot of energy being used to create these things. The supply chain is difficult as well. There are people being exploited in that as well. There's ghost workers who are doing all that content moderation, who are seeing very traumatic things and being paid very little money to do so. So AI has got problems on the ground. And we know about the ones about bias and discrimination too. And if you think of all those things, why are we so worried about something that might or might not happen in the future when we could be focusing on what's actually happening now? 
That's very reassuring, actually, after reading far too many <laughs> articles like you're describing recently. But I, I, was, I wanted to ask, actually, about that, the problems around discrimination. How can we sort of guide AI to avoid reproducing prejudices around race, sexuality and, and gender? This is really difficult. I don't think anyone has a good practical answer yet. We know that humans are biased. We know that AI takes human information. So the bias is already in the system from the very start. But then that AI can amplify the bias and perpetuate it. What can we do? We can try and audit our data better. We can try and say, this is where we got the data from. This data set is likely to have bias in it. Therefore, we may not necessarily trust the output. I think we have to be a lot more critical about the systems that are being used and proposed. And it sort of falls into this idea of AI regulation, which is as yet an unanswered problem. So there's been lots of talk recently about how we regulate AI. Different nations are taking different approaches, but somebody needs to be looking at how we make this accountable, how we make responsible technology so that we're not seeing software that is biased being rolled out and used on a large scale. How do you see the tech developing as we move forward, particularly in these areas of friendship and and helping people in a therapeutic way and and trying to end loneliness? Lots of interesting research is going on in this space where people are exploring what it means to form these kind of friendships with a machine. It's something that is so very scalable. So there used to be lots of talk about social companion robots. And that was a big thing. You know, can you have a little companion robot in your home that will be your friend? They've always commercially failed. It's not really worked. With an AI, you have this as an app on your phone. It's much, much easier and handier to carry around with you. And with advances in technology like the GPT and the the large language models, again, more and more convincing conversation all the time. So I think that we will see more of this. There have been researchers looking at how this might go. And one researcher, Julie Carpenter, has said, in the foreseeable future, because human to robot, human to AI, because the AI cannot feel emotions in the same way humans do, perhaps we have this possibility of a new social category defined where, you know, you're having this friendship with something that isn't human. Perhaps this is an emerging social category in its own right. And I think there's a lot to go for that. We already have very quickly picked up the use of virtual assistants, for example. So all of your Siri and Alexa and Google. Very, very quickly, people have brought those into their homes, maybe ill-advised in some aspects because those are still listening devices. But it's a very natural way of communicating this conversational approach. But we know what the limitations are. We know they can't really understand us, but we choose to engage anyway. And I think that's probably what's going to happen in the near future. Is there a risk that AI could become friends with other AI and start gossiping about us behind our backs? I love that idea. That sounds great. <laughs> not particularly realistic risks, so don't worry about that, but wouldn't that be fun if they did? <laughs> yeah. This is good. You're sort of re- removing all of these existential worries that keep me awake at night. This is, this is fantastic. You've talked about the sort of data risks and, and things like that. Do you think there should be regulation of the technology as we move forward? We absolutely need to have regulation in place around data and privacy. I think that's unarguable. We know that these corporations that are taking our data, we don't really have any say what happens to that once it's with them. And so that's something we need to be really careful about. And of course, everyone just clicks on the terms and conditions when they want to sign up for something because that's how you get access to it. There's not really a way around that. But we should be more knowledgeable about where the data goes and we should know what we're entering into. We should be wary. And that's probably a skill that we really need to teach and to reinforce. 
Can you see yourself becoming friends with an AI or perhaps you already are? I'd like to give it a try. I think that could be interesting. I mean, I'm already quite attached to my robot vacuum cleaner, which has sort of got pet-like <laughs> status. So, you know, I don't see why not. Let's be friends with AIs. But I know its limitations and I know that it won't really be there for me. <laughs> so AI is more likely to be our helper than annihilator. But let's be careful who we share our secrets with. Let's face it. So many friendships are made and sustained by the pub that there might need to be some technological advances before this really works. After all, phones don't like getting things spilled on them. And what if your new best pal gets nicked after you've left it on the table? So that's it for us today on Why. Thank you to Dr Kate Devlin. Thank you very much for having me on. We'll be back with more scientific conundrums very soon. Just follow the podcast so you don't miss an edition. And follow us on social media too. Links are in the show notes. I've been Luke Turner asking Why? See you next time. Why was written and presented by Luke Turner. The lead producer was Anne-Marie Luff and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. Artwork is by James Parrott. Theme music is by DJ Food. Why? is a Podmasters production.